0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is John Ryan Kane 2, and this is Leading the Christian Leadership Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? God bless you, and... Welcome to another episode of Leading the Christian Leadership Podcast. It's good to be talking to you guys today. I know that it's been a couple weeks since I've posted a podcast. And uh, the reason for that is because we've been getting ready for a special series that that we're going to be doing uh, in this month. Of October October is a pastor's appreciation month, if you didn't know. It's also my birthday month, so it's like the best month ever. Uh, not only that, it's the most expensive month for me because my wife and my daughter's birthdays are also in October. So it's a very busy uh, season when October hits, the rest of the year uh, kind of just flies by and I feel like I don't have time for much. Uh, but I did want to make time uh, to do this series um this month where we talk to pastors and about pastors I wanted to honor them and uh, so that's what we'll be doing um for for the rest of this month in October we'll talk about some of the struggles and challenges and joys of what it means uh to lead a church and uh, I'm excited to be doing that I've also found that it's kind of hard to to book pastors because ba- pastors seem to be pretty uh, busy they're all interested but um to do it this month it's like everyone's like man i i, I don't know if i can do it till a couple of weeks or a few weeks but by that time um it'll be not october so that that's kind of been uh a, a challenge um as well but um we'll be talking to some pastors and um i'm excited uh for for what the conversations are going to to bring um you know the job of a pastor it, it it's one that You know, it's often underappreciated and um, overworked. Pastors don't only work at church, they work 24 7. They have to be on call. You know, when someone's in the hospital, when um, tragedy strikes, you know, pastors are usually some of the ones that get called first uh, they're not only thinking about themselves and their family they're also thinking about you and your family and praying for you and your family pastors love their members uh, they really do even when they frustrate them so appreciate your pastor this month and I don't say that just because I'm a pastor because even if I wasn't I'd be singing the the same tune so um, today we're actually talking to um, someone who's not a pastor and but we're talking a lot about uh, pastors um, and you know ministers in general in the church. I recorded this conversation several weeks ago, and I was going to to, to post it, um, but I thought that it'd be a good idea to save it um, for this series because it's such a, 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 a timely um, and, and valuable uh, message and conversation that we're going to be having today. Um, today's guest um, is, is Jared Pingleton. I actually uh, reached out to him. Um because I read one of his articles he he 's a he 's a writer for uh influence magazine, and I read an article that he had posted um in the wake of another uh pastoral suicide um which we're probably m- many of us are aware of um, and that has been things like that have been coming uh, a little too often uh recently we've we 've been seeing uh, seeing this uh, influx of, of, of frustration um, in the lives of many Christian leaders and um, you know not not properly I guess dealing or talking about uh, their their issues and that's something that pastors and and leaders in general we don't like to do we don't like to talk about our issues because we want to make it seem like we've got everything under control because hey we are we're leading people so we want to make Sure that the people that we're leading can see us as worthy leaders, and and um, I can say, you know, right now that uh, that is uh, never a, a healthy approach to suffer um, alone and not talk about the issues that we deal with. Um, everyone has things that they deal with, and and anxieties, and even depression, and uh, we should be open about. Uh, Our struggles. And so that's kind of the conversation today. I won't get too much into it. I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Dr. Jared Pingleton. Okay, today's guest is Dr. Jared Pingleton. He serves as a Director of Mental Health Care and Ministry for the American Association of Christian Counselors. He maintains a private practice in Forest, Virginia, and is a licensed clinical psychologist and an ordained minister of the Assemblies of God. He is the author or editor of a number of books, including The Struggle is Real How to Care for Mental and Relational Health Needs in the Church. Uh, I reached out to him after reading an article that he wrote in influence magazine, uh, called suicide in the church. And I'm very thankful that he agreed to come on and share some of his, uh, insights. So, uh, Jared, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Well, thank
1: you, John, for your invitation. I'm delighted to serve any way I can.
0: Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And you know, this is our very first time, uh, talking on the phone. You know, usually we, uh, uh, I, I usually do a kind of a preliminary uh, phone call, um, but just because, you know, for time's sake, we thought uh, we just will just knock it out of the out of the park here. And so I'm going to be learning uh, a lot about you kind of with the audience as we go. Um, and before we dive too deep into the conversation, um, I'm just you know, if you could give us a little bit of background, a little bit about you, you know, what you're doing, um, why you're doing it. Um, you know, just, just so the listeners can get a little bit of a background on on Dr. Pingleton.
1: Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. Um, I am duly trained and credentialed in, in ministry and in serving the needs of hurting people clinically. And so my specialty is the integration of biblical truth with psychological dynamics and principles of human relating... And our sense of identity is who we are as persons. Um, I was in private practice for um, many years. And so um, I'm now um, branching out into other areas of ministry and and writing and teaching and speaking, um, as well as coordinating things with the American Association of Christian Counselors. And so I'm thrilled to be able to, um, you know, see how the Lord is is using my calling and and career to hopefully um, be of help to more people.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's awesome. And there's such a need for everything that you're doing. I know that. Uh, so you're a credentialed. You're you're a, I think You're is an ordained minister. Um, did were did you ever do any pastoring or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I served on the staff of a couple of large churches. Um, and uh, directed, founded and directed a couple of large Christian counseling centers in those two churches, and uh, so yes, I'm, I'm a third generation aging minister and a shrink, that's a pretty unique combination.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's well that's awesome. Um, there, there's always kind of been a little bit of a, a stigma kind of mm-hmm. in the past, um, if you tell people that you're going, you're seeing a shrink, uh, or a therapist, they might, they might, uh, they might uh kind of look at you funny like what well, why you why are you doing that um and uh it's one of those things and, and we'll probably dive deeper into it uh today but it's one of those things that people don't like to openly share because it's uh because of that stigma around it I don't know if right. you found that
1: Oh um, my goodness yes I I began practice back in 1977 and it, it was like trying to grow grass on a parking lot as far as yeah. <laughs> dealing with um, helping folks understand the liberation and redemption potentials of health and healing individually and relationally through mm-hmm. counseling and psychotherapy um, that's completely biblically based. But fortunately, that shame and stigma has reduced significantly since then.
0: That's great. Yeah, that's great. And that, that's that's kind of what we're we're finding as well. You know, we're we're finally, I think, getting to that turning point where we're able to talk a little bit, or at least we're we're becoming more aware uh, of the need to openly uh, talk about you know real issues so that people don't suffer alone. and And so with that, I think we can go ahead and dive into the depth of of, of today's uh, topic, which is kind of you know it's it's tragic. It's very dark. Um, it comes at a very uh it, it comes at a time where you know we we see it happening um a lot in in the church and uh it's this issue of suicide and i've got to tell you as a pastor myself um you know when i read of another pastor or a christian leader taking their lives it kind of hits it hits home a little bit um i've never dealt with you know me- mental illness myself i've never dealt with depression but i i really understand the struggles that pastors undergo and uh, that pressure that, that's there to make it seem like you have it all together when when you don't <laughs> so you know pastors I think they tend to suffer alone because leadership is a lonely place right. um, you know you'll you'll never please everyone there's always going to be at least one person who isn't happy with you and um, even if things are generally better than they are worse we tend to focus more on the negative and and that weighs us down. Um, and and so if you're dealing with any type of you know mental illness, I would imagine that these pressures are magnified to like the tenth power. So it's a it's a huge issue right now in the church, and uh, I don't I don't know that we really know how to respond. So I guess my first question to you is, um, and I don't know if you have this data handy, but are we seeing more more suicides today in the church than ever before, or are we just kind of becoming more aware of it because it's it's on social media that we're seeing it happen?
1: That's a very insightful question, John, and tragically, unfortunately, we are seeing over the last several years an annual increase in this country in suicides, such that we have about 130 people per day in the United States of America that end their own lives every single day. And the ripple effects of that to families, to churches, to communities are enormous. And the sense of helplessness that leaves people feeling is absolutely tragic. So to put this in perspective, in terms of numbers, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States of America, claiming the lives of over 47,000 people last year. Um, It's the second leading cause of death for people between 10 and 34. So we're seeing an absolute epidemic among young people in our country who we are seeing the sense of struggle very clearly with. Now, to put that in perspective, there were 19,500 people last year killed in the United States by homicide. So we're Mm -hmm. seeing about two and a half times as many people kill themselves as are murdered by others. And the difference is, I think we're seeing it flying under the radar stereotypically traditionally until just recently, because suicide is one at a time. And murder is sensationalized and and believe me it's horrible I'm not minimizing murder I'm just saying we way over minimize self murder because that's truly what it
0: is right right that's that's crazy and I, I you know I, I I guess we don't really know um, those those numbers until you know we really look them up because uh, I think a lot of times we we realize that there's a lot that that we didn't see before that was always there, but now it's it's just because of social media that everyone sees it. But no, this is this is a real issue, and it's increasing um, year by year. So, m- my next question is: Why do you think this is this happening, um, especially in in the church? Why, why sure. are Christians looking to end their lives?
1: Well, that's a, unfortunately a very good question, John. Mm-hmm. The truth is that. Christians are not immune to suffering in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus guaranteed us in John sixteen thirty three that in this life we will have many troubles. That doesn't get preached much, but it's true. Yeah. Of course, the good news is that you know we're to be encouraged because he helps us overcome by the blood of him and our testimony to him. But he has overcome the world. We have yet to do that, and we're in a process. So to understand suicide, I think comprehensively john we have to take a couple of steps back suicide is certainly a problem but suicide is the result of other problems does that make sense in other words suicide is the symptom of underlying issues that really really need to be addressed much more clearly that typically aren't and so to back up um, we need to take a look at where suicide comes from where is it embedded what is the context And the truth is that one out of five people in the United States of America right now are suffering from a diagnosable mental disorder. One out of four people will over their lifetime. Now, I became passionate about this issue of mental and relational health about five years ago, John, when I was director of counseling services at Focus on the Family out in Colorado Springs. And I did a three-day radio broadcast. They rarely do two days, but that was the first three-day broadcast I believe they'd ever done. And I had a couple of psychiatrist friends and myself do this broadcast on the widespread reality of mental health issues among Christians in America and around the world. It's actually a, a human issue. It's not a cultural issue or a religious issue. And So the response we got from that program was absolutely overwhelming. It was the highest response program in the history of that broadcast ministry. And that was stunning. And the tragic thing about that, John, was almost every caller or person who wrote or emailed in said, wow, I thought I was the only one. And so from there, the Lord really quickened on me to create this resource That we have done here at um, American Association of Christian Counselors called The Struggle is Real, How to Care for Mental and Relational Health Needs in the Church. And so my heart went really to pastors who are overwhelmed typically with the needs of their congregation. And the reality is most pastors don't have the training or the time, and perhaps even the talent to address these mental and relationship health issues. Most Mm -hmm. seminaries and Bible schools do a great job with homiletics and hermeneutics and exegetics, but that's great for that 20 to 40 minutes on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday, most pastors just simply aren't equipped to know how to deal with that suicidal call at two in the morning, how to deal with that couple on the way to the divorce attorney, and they stop by your office to save their marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, Or that grief-stricken parent whose kid is on a prodigal trip or is addicted to meth or opioids. And so these are the realities of the world in which we live. And so I created a bunch of resources for pastors there are focused, but really saw the need much larger. And so we just created this book, and it's available on my website at drpingleton.com. But the struggle is real, and that's the issue that I think we need to get the word out for and bring the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ to bear on people's mental and relational health issues but yeah. as i said in the article we have a bunch of obstacles don't we john
0: yes absolutely and we're we're going we're going to get there because that's that's uh, that article is what you know um kind of prompted me to to reach out to you but um i'm i'm coming up with some questions as as you're you're speaking here and um you're right you're right absolutely right you know we're as pastors we're trained and and um you know in in theological disciplines um but not so much when it comes to uh, actual Counseling, um, you know, maybe pastoral counseling. I, 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 uh, I have a master's degree in biblical and theolo- uh, theological studies, and I, uh, I took maybe a couple of counseling courses that were required. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I, in no way, feel uh, equipped or or trained to kind of go the distance. You know, I might have, sure. uh, you know, a sit down with the, with the family or someone who's kind of going through some issues, and yeah, you know, kind of counsel them um, in a way that aligned with you know uh, the scriptures, but. Um, after that, I, I'm I'm always finding myself needing to reach out to someone who um, might be a little bit more qualified in a, in a particular area.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so, what what could you recommend? Wh- what would you recommend? The steps that uh, leaders or pastors should take when they uh, when they hear someone in their congregation say, "Hey, I'm I'm dealing with some issues right now, and um, you know, some thoughts of." You know, ending my life has have even kind of crept into my mind. What what should the first steps be there?
1: Well, that's a very practical uh, suggestion. And again, let me back up a couple of steps and contextualize it, and then come back to address it. As a part of that broadcast, I commissioned um, Lifeway Research to do the largest research study. On mental health issues from a Christian perspective, where we pulled a thousand pastors, those kinds of questions, and what the research showed very clearly, John, was pastors who talk about mental and relational health issues have far healthier churches and far less problems than those who don't speak or preach about mental and re- health, relational health issues. Yeah. And you know, t- intuitively, that just makes perfect sense because my opinion is both clinically and Christianly. There's one basic difference between healthy people, couples, families, churches, and communities, and unhealthy people, couples, families, churches, and communities, and it's simply this. Healthy people talk out their feelings. Mm. Unhealthy Mm. people act out their feelings. So the first thing we need to do is, I think, help pastors feel educated, equipped, and encouraged to do the work of ministry in all kinds of ways, not just, again, preaching ministries. And again, we need the Word, we, we need the, the proclamation of, of God's truth, but we also need the entire Word of God. And one person said very clearly that mental health issues, say like bipolar disorder, are not a casserole disease. <laughs> that is, you know, you, <laughs> you really can't get community help, but if you have, yeah. you know, your gallbladder out, or something, then, you know, that's okay to pray about and respond Mm -hmm. to in a supportive way. And I think think there are a number of factors that really make mental and relational health issues difficult to talk about, John, very directly. And I believe there are four. I believe there is the sense of silence, secrecy, shame, and stigma. And all of those are things that I think our adversary uses in a very diabolic and devious way to perpetuate and promote and, um, you know, have the problems that we have just become exponentially worse. So yeah. I think there are four responses we have to do in the church as pastors. We have to end the silence, you know, yeah. to, to not speak up about the truth is detrimental And oh, by the way, one out of four pastors in that research study of those thousand pastors reported that they themselves struggle with a diagnosable mental illness. But again, the the shame and the sinning and the secrecy and the silence keeps them from getting help. So the first thing is we have to end the silence. The second thing is we have to expose the secrets. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a biblical principle that that which is hidden will be proclaimed, and we see the tragedy of these high-visible pastors' suicides. They, they mm-hmm. struggle with this hidden pain, and then boom, it's on the front page of the you know, newspaper and the top news story and um, you know, social media everywhere and websites. So right. we have to expose the secrets in a loving way. And then that's because, thirdly, we have to eliminate the shame, and then fourthly, erase the stigma. So yeah. we, we are human, and all humans have issues, pain, struggles, conflict, problems, challenges, et cetera. And we, we all sin. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, but yet I think it's our pride and our fear that keep mental and relational health needs under the table. Again, we can pray for Aunt Mabel or Uncle Maynard's lumbago or gout yes. or whatever, <laughs> rheumatism, and I've never had any of those, so I'm sure they're not fine. I'm being a little facetious here, but yeah. <laughs> we can't pray for our kleptomania or our pornography addiction or our eating disorder or our alcohol dependence. And, you know, th- this is, it may shock some pastors to learn that one out of four adults in the United States of America have alcohol dependency issues. They meet criteria for being an alcoholic. One out of four Christians in the pew on Sunday mornings. One out of four women in the church on Sunday morning have had an abortion. And you know what else? One out of four men... (laughs) <laughs> had an abortion. but Nobody talks about the men having abortion, but it, it takes a man and a woman to have an abortion. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, And on and on and on. I mean, our, the numbers are staggering. We know we have a 40 mm-hmm. some percent divorce rate, which is tragic. But what we don't talk about is that most of the other half of marriages fail uh, functionally. 5 to 12 percent of American marriages work. That's why several years ago I, I wrote a toolbox book on marriage called Making Magnificent Marriages, where biblically and psychologically I I take a look at 12 different issues that that we have to deal with, because marriage is the foundation of the family, the family is the foundation of the church. And so as a result, we have one out of three children that will be raised by both their biological parents to age 18. Two years ago, John, in America, 48% of all babies were born to people who were unmarried. That's
0: just wow, shocking.
1: Forty half of all babies are born to people who are not married. So the church has a lot of work to do. Uh, one out of three girls were sexually abused in this country. One out of four to five mm-hmm. boys. Um, eating disorders. Fifteen percent of of kids have eating disorders, and mm-hmm. you know about ten percent of those are fatal. Um, mm-hmm. These are huge, huge, huge issues. Collectively, the numbers Mm -hmm. of what we're dealing with are overwhelming. And so that's Mm -hmm. why people suicide is because much like a wound that doesn't have the dirt cleansed, it gets infected and Mm -hmm. it'll kill us. And suicide to me is the result of infected, uncleansed wounds.
0: Yeah. Wow. Those numbers are are, are staggering. And I don't think that we don't we don't think about those things we don't we don't think about those numbers because um, I guess the, the key problem there is we just don't we don't talk about it enough and nope and, uh, nope. and, and if, if you did if everyone did, uh, then we would be a- aware of these issues and we would, we would, these, these issues that, you know, everything that you're presenting here is, uh, they're, they're practical issues. They're, they're real issues yeah. that people deal with Monday through, through Saturday. And then Sunday, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's put our Sunday best on and let's mm-hmm. put a smile on and let's go mm-hmm. to church and we're going to pretend like everything was okay. All and right. we enter that that sanctuary and and you mentioned this in your article uh the the sanctuary is supposed to be you know a a, a kind of a sanctum it's supposed to be a a safe place um but we we kind of treat it more as a place where we just don't we we just don't talk about things because of guilt and 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 shame and secrecy and you know stigma and um you know i I grew up you know uh, kind of very very conservative and uh you know diseases mental mental diseases were a lot, a lot of times kind of just chalked up as you know demon oppression demon mm-hmm. demon possession sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and uh I, I think that does a that dis- does a disservice to the one that's actually suffering uh it might even push them away it might make them think even uh, more or less of themselves because they think oh i have this i have this <clears throat> demon i'm i'm filthy i'm no good um and so uh, everything that you've, you're presenting here, uh, you know, eliminating the silence, the secrecy, the shame, the stigma. I think that is going to take a very collective church uh, yes. culture, church effort, um, so that we can move uh, move ahead of this uh, this real issue. Uh, so, thank you, thank you for that. And I want to I want to highlight some of your points here that you made in your your article because you're, you're, the article is is uh, entitled "Suicide and the Church." Um, because we, uh, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of suicide in the mm-hmm. church, so we have to mm-hmm. learn how to, to respond. Um, and so you wrote down uh, four points there that I, I think we can kind of just pick apart and maybe we could talk a little bit about here. Sure. Um, and uh, the first one that you had said um, is that a church cannot be healthier than its leadership. So would you kind of expound on that a little bit?
1: Absolutely, it, it is a principle of the Creator's universe. It's a law of physics for that, for example, a stream cannot rise higher than its source. Simply put, John, we cannot give that which we do not have. And I think one of the challenges in professional ministry for pastors is the expectation that they give and give and give everything, and yet none of us are gifted in everything. No one is, and yet a pastor is expected to be gifted in everything. And that Mm -hmm. rub causes a ton of stress and burnout. And so, whereas pastors have this impossible job description, um, the challenge is, you know, to take care of oneself. And to me, it's much like the airline FAA regulation about putting on one's oxygen mask in the event of an emergency first, so that then. You can assist a child or an elderly person or someone next to you. That seems so selfish on the face of it, right? But Mm -hmm. the truth is um, a child is going to feel suffocated and terrified with this unfamiliar thing being put over their face. But when a parent role models, hey, here's how to take care of you. I'm going to take care of me. And, oh, here's how you do it. Oh, it's okay. Otherwise, we're chasing that kid up and down the fuselage using all the oxygen. Everybody dies. Oh, so yes. this is this this is a key <laughs> leadership principle that I think so many pastors feel guilty about taking care of themselves first. And that's why we see a you know twenty to twenty five percent attrition rate in professional ministry and first term missionaries have even a higher attrition and burnout rate because we do not we do not teach pastoral care persons to take care of themselves first. And so burnout yeah. and ministry ineffectiveness, shame, and hiding are, are inevitable kinds of outcomes. So we we have to realize that the pastorate is one of the most stressful jobs in the world. It's inherently lonely. It leads, its, leads itself to discouragement, to comparisons. And, um, and, and there's a spiritual dynamic here. You're in warfare, and we have an adversary and he hates that which pastors do uh, enormously so a healthy church has a healthy leader and a healthy leader will have a healthy church and if you take a look at the propagation dynamic either in plant life or in animal life or in humans a healthy parent produces healthy children whether you know it's a it's a plant or a tree or a, a, an animal or whatever pro- propagation cannot genetically improve um, without the, the sense of health from its progenitor or origin. And so what does that mean for pastors? A lot of things. They, they need self-care. They need healthy boundaries. They need to prioritize their families next. They need to find ways to reach out and um, connect with others in terms of networking and um, being able to delegate. Uh, work that they need to get done in their congregation with people who can do that mm-hmm. better than them or more effectively or exponentially, you know, more efficient than them. Um, they need continuing education opportunities. They also need to have relational networks, outreaches, connections to where they're getting their batteries charged. Then they need, Definitely. you know, rest and respite. Um, they need to regenerate yes. and So there's a lot that pastors can do to make themselves healthier leaders,
0: uh, but the church really needs to do that. Yeah, and you you make a great point there, uh, and you know I can I can say for myself dealing with some frustrations, just you know just regular frustrations that come with being a pastor. Um, it, it it's very hard, and I tell my wife this all the time we we need uh, we need more friendships outside yes. of the church because yes. uh, not 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 outside of you know the you know just the the church uh, as in the universal body, but our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need someone that we can go to. And and kind of just vent a little bit, and I actually yeah. I met with the pastor uh, several weeks ago just just for that reason, just to kind of get some of it, uh, get some of his insight, and just kind of get some weight off my chest because sure, um, a lot of pastors can't can't go to their own congregation to to, to talk no. about you know uh, the, the, these issues, so that's that's a very good key point, and I I, I want to kind of just uh, piggyback off something that you. You mentioned there uh, th- that there is pressure from pastors, and uh, that pressure, I think, kind of keeps them um, from going to someone because they say, "Well, look, if I'm if I'm not in a healthy place, well, then what does that mean for mm-hmm. the church?" Because again, mm-hmm. pastors they they know that they have to be selfless. So, if for me as an example, if I'm not in a healthy place, it's 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 very. I find that it would be very difficult for me to say, "Hey." I, I need help right now because then it's kind of like you're leaving the the children unattended, you know. And I I, sure. I imagine that a lot of pastors uh, would feel that way. But what what would you say to someone who went into your office to say, uh, Doctor pingleson I am I'm a pastor. I'm not. I don't think that I am in a very healthy place. Um, but I I don't know what to do with my congregation who's counting on me every Sunday to speak life into them and encourage them. Uh, sure. what, what would you say to someone like that?
1: Well, my heart goes out to that person because I I do see their heart and their calling and the stress they have of whether it's adversarial or circumstantial or whatever issues that enter in make it difficult for them to be a healthy leader and give to their congregation. Um, It was partly for that reason that while at Focus, I also created a toll-free helpline and uh, reached out to the leaders of several denominations, including our own, to basically create like an EAP, an employee assistance program, for pastors to where they could anonymously call the counseling staff at Focus to receive help, because many denominations are not safe. I've worked with so many former pastors who are selling insurance or graveyard plots or, you know, funeral home plans or whatever, selling cars, and They walked in and tried to share a personal struggle. And their denominational official said, leave your credentials on my desk on your way out. Um, The horrible sense of rejection, criticism, judgment, condemnation, and shame that pastors feel for being human and for struggling themselves is enormous. So that's one thing that we need to be able to do is to reach out and find connectivity to realize, hey, we're not the only one. And that is something that I think pastors really need to do is... Find help for themselves, and yes, I hear your point about feeling guilty. But I would go back to again that FAA regulation with the with mm-hmm. the air mass. You've got to put yeah. your yours on. You can't give. We have this controversy in the church about you know taking care of oneself. Jesus, Moses, and Paul all commanded two things: to love God fully and your neighbor as yourself. Right? As yourself, but right. John, let's think about it. We cannot love our neighbor better than we love ourselves. How's that controversial? It has been historically for most of my career, but it's simply you can't give what you don't have. So you can't love your neighbor better than yourself. It feels guilty to say you're going to have to love yourself. But even Paul says no man ever hated himself, but cared for himself in a normal way. Um, Obviously, when that becomes the case, that's when we need help because that's pathological when we don't love ourselves
0: right yeah and it, it shows a little I mean we 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 judge uh we, we tend to judge mothers who uh, you know don't care for for themselves and because they don't care for themselves they they make very irresponsible decisions on behalf of their their children but it's it's kind of that same concept where if we are not caring for ourselves if we're not tending you know to our own needs then that same output is going to be presented in those that we're you know trying to love but we're just right. like you said we can't give what we don't have um so that's a that's a very excellent point and um i think we do need to begin thinking uh that way would would you ever recommend um you know to to pastors I mean, i'm sure you would but um just to kind of you know take some take some time off uh, because that seems to be uh, another thing, like I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know that I can take time off, and and there's again that that pressure, um, right. But again, as you say, uh, we need to we need to you know take care of ourselves first. Do, do you ever right. give that kind of advice? Hey, just take a I don't all know, the a, time. Some, some time. To um, yeah.
1: Jesus didn't work seven days a week, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and he, and he went hiking, boating, fishing, um, and hung out with his buddies when he needed his batteries charged, and Mm -hmm. yet we feel guilty for doing that. I I recommend that pastors talk with their boards, um, their deacons, their elders, to put into their contract a um, kind of, you know, sense of of, uh, Sabbath, um, you know, that every seventh year or whatever they get a sabbatical that's paid for. I, I love, uh, some friends of mine invited me to their church when we were on vacation down in Florida last month, and their pastoral staff um, was very healthy. The church is very vibrant and vital. It's making a huge difference. And they just, when we were there, the, the senior pastor, lead pastor was on a three-month sabbatical that the church paid all the expenses for. The first month it was an all-expenses trip to the Holy Land for him to have as a vacation, and kind of a working vacation because obviously he's learning while yeah, there. Yeah. But a whole month—not to do that on the tour where you see all this stuff mm-hmm. and you hop back on the bus and all that—which um, is yeah. great still, but it's not very restful. So paid right. for for him and his wife and family to take a month vacation in Israel. Secondly, then they sent the entire family. They apparently liked tennis to a tennis camp and mom and dad kind of chilled and kicked back while the kids got lessons and you know enjoyed um tennis their their avocation and hobby and then they sent him for one month to study at oxford in england wow. with um wow. yeah for for him to uh, do a doctoral seminar on some theological topics that he specializes in, is very interested in. And, you know, I'm sure that kind of board arrangement's very um, appealing to most pastors where you have a month for, um, you know, personal and then family, and then um, chilling out and unplugging and, and relaxing, and then a month of focused study to bring back new energy, new insights, new uh, leadings of the Holy Spirit to your congregation. Again, right. when we lead empty, we're never going to be able to fill our congregation.
0: Right. That's great. That's great. I love that. That that's that's a. I think more churches should should yeah. very should be very intentional about you know uh, those things for their pastors and. Yep. Um, I don't say this because I'm a pastor and I'm hoping that my congregation's listening, but <laughs> I, I do I do see the uh, I do see the, the need for that, uh, and the value of that that, that would be. Well and, and both, the resistance
1: or you know, c- the pushback is well we can't afford that. And my response is sure. can you afford not to?
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 a very good you know, point. Yeah, very I good tell point.
1: you, yeah. what they did for that guy for three months is cheaper than one month in an inpatient psych hospital. Yeah. That's A true. whole that's lot true. cheaper. Yeah. And a yeah. whole lot healthier because prevention is easier than cure. So we wait for people to crash and burn and flame out, and then we, you know, say, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's too bad," and so on. But you know, we, we need to take care of of our pastors. So we might not yeah. be able to do it on that big of a scale right off the bat, but I think that that kind of combination in ministry is so yeah. vital. Again, we have to yeah. serve pastors.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So that's, that's uh, the first point was a, a church cannot be healthier than its leadership. Uh, number two uh, it says a church cannot be healthy if it is not emotionally safe. Okay, so can you kind of talk a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I have worked with thousands of unchurched Christians over my 42-year career, John. And they're unchurched because when they tried to share their pain or their problem— they got judged, criticized, ignored, rejected, etc. The church was the most unsafe place for them to share who and what and how they are. And, and that to me is tragic. I think uh, a church cannot be healthy if it's not a safe place. And yes, as I said in the article, that big room where the congregation traditionally is met should be a literal sanctuary, a safe haven, a place of refuge. For hurting persons and hurting relationships. You know, we we kind of have made this typology where the church is to be a museum for saints instead of a hospital for sinners, and that's just flat-out backwards. I can't prove this, but I believe in the first century, of course, when the church met in homes and it was relational and you looked at people's faces instead of the back of their heads in a theater-style, impersonal, yeah. uh, kind of disconnected way. And that that is a big problem, seriously, in, in the church is, you know, we, the forms we have in American churchianity is my irreverent term for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think in the first century, people were real. I, I can't prove this, but I think one gal would say, you know, pray for me. Uh, there's this gal up the hill. I, I just can't stand her. I hate her guts. Her kids are always perfectly groomed and well-behaved in public. She she hangs her laundry out in a nice little neat rows. I, I just can't stand her. I'm so jealous. Then another guy would say, yeah, pray for me. I, I was on— um, I was on a business trip last week, and as our caravan was coming over the hill, we saw these gals down at the creek at the bottom of the hill doing their wash. And man, this one gal bent over, she had on this side split toga. Oh my goodness, pray for me. I was really tempted. Third guy would say, yeah, pray for me. I'm struggling. This guy last week rode into the the market. And um, this stranger, obviously from out of town, and he had this awesome camel camel i mean double humper right and he just lightly tethered it to the hitching post and walked around the corner man i wanted to steal that i was so jealous they were real because see james 5 says confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and the word confess there john to unpack that from the greek it means simply agree with the truth That's all it means. It's more like, oh, no, I mean, you can't see me, but it's like I'm wearing a blue shirt today. That is confession. I just confess to you, John. I'm wearing a blue shirt. (laughs) See, we make it into a shame based thing that is stigmatizing. And that's the problem, because, see, it is when we're open and vulnerable to having that warm cleanse that we can get the dirt out. The person who says, I'm struggling with my envy toward this woman, I'm struggling with my lust, I'm struggling with the temptation to steal, those people are not going to end up being jealous, adulterers, or thieves. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're honest. And when we know the truth, it sets us free. And when people can hold this accountable to the truth, Hey, how are you doing toward loving that lady up the hill? Hey, how are you doing toward you know your lustful fantasies? Hey, how are you doing to your temptation to steal? And you know, let me pray for you. I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to love you more because you're honest, open, and vulnerable. So the church has to be a healthy place. We got we got work to do, John.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's it, it again. It, it all kind of comes back to that that shame where no one wants to expose yep. Yep. their faults. Yeah. Um, and, but but then when you do, you, you learn that there's others, you know, it, it's kind of like a domino effect, you know, one person says, hey, I'm struggling with this. And yeah. then another one says, you know what, I, I'm i kind of struggling with that, too. Yeah. And so you kind of find a common ground there and, and, and you're able to help each other. Um, yeah. You know, it, kind of in your analogy there, I, I just I, I kind of had a Kind of a silly analogy, it's probably not a great one, but you know, you know, people take their cars to to get washed because they're they're dirty and yeah. you know, they can't come out on the other side and they're perfectly they're they're like new. It's it's great, you know, it smells nice. It's it's yeah, it's a great uh, analogy. You, know, you, you got yeah, you, you have it cleaned on the inside and on the outside. And um, you know, imagine a person who who just says, No, I'm never gonna take my car to get washed because it, it the people are gonna see how dirty it is, you know. Right. But right. That's the point. That's the point. You take it, you take your filth so that. It gets worked yeah. on and, and and cleansed. So I think we need to be more more open about our faults, and uh, you know maybe yes. just finding the right finding the right people to talk and the to, inside um,
1: too. Yeah,
0: and, and you're right. We right. we we need to make sure it's safe. But in, you know Matthew 23, one of my favorite sarcasms of
1: Jesus is whitewashed tombs. He's calling the self righteous religious hypocrite leaders. He calls them whitewashed tombs, where they're spit shined on the outside, but inside full of death and decay. So, yeah, we need we need not just the exterior cleansing and waxing, but we need the interior vacuuming and and clean cleansing as well.
0: Right. Great analogy. What would you? T- Thank you. Um, what would you say to someone who says, "Dr. Pinkleton, you know, I"? i'm I'm, t- I'm taking your advice, or I took your advice, and I went to church and I confessed all my sin I just let it hang out there and I just you know i i, I just i made myself look as dirty as i as I am, and I got pretty much shamed out the building and people uh, looked at me differently people didn't want me around them and um, i I don't feel very uh safe and i know this is this is the point that you're making here right um, that we need to have a, a more emotionally safe church, but right. what if someone is on the other end of that, yes. um, and, and they're saying, well, I know that we say that, but it's not it's not happening. So what do I do next? Where do I go to next? Because for a lot of people, like you mentioned early on, they, they have those experiences, and then they just kind of regress, and uh, right. they don't want anything to do with the Church. So what no. would you tell someone like that?
1: Yeah. Well, to begin with, I want to change your word, if, to when, because okay. you must have been a fly in my office for the last, you know, 42 years. Uh, those hundreds and hundreds, it's not thousands of people that have experienced that. I say two things. Number one, Jesus said not to throw our gemstones in front of pigs. And We that's a very insulting kind of word picture to an Orthodox Jew because pigs are unclean animals and pearls back then were very rare because I don't believe they knew how to culture them then to open up an oyster and stick a piece of sand in and toss it back. Right. So he says we must have personal boundaries to be very cautious to make sure that people, uh, you know, pigs will not appreciate the value of a rare gemstone, right? And mm-hmm. so we must make sure that this place is safe. And so that's incumbent upon us because secondly, the second thing I say to them is, again, rarely taught in our culture, but the wisest man who ever lived said in Proverbs four twenty three very important words. He said, above all else. And, you know, let's just pause there. Yeah. Nothing's more important, he's saying. Think about that. Nothing's more important. Above all else, what? Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. And so that's what people need to do. They must guard their heart unless and until it's a safe place. And uh, that's, you know, we need both ends of the equation. Uh, The church needs to become emotionally safe, but it is the responsibility of us to make sure that we're not spilling our guts in a way that's going to be unwise or unsafe
0: right exactly and i i would say that there are plenty of people um on, on both sides of the spectrum that would probably you know for anything that you would say they're probably going to judge you <laughs> regardless of what what it is you say but i know that there's also a lot of people um who who are caring and i have a lot of friends in my life who you know they they would welcome the transparency and uh, they would they would pray they would pray for me so right. um I, I think it's you know having those valued people in your life um to, right. to, to to where that you know that you can go to them for for those situations that's that's very important so uh, okay great now the the third one here is that a church cannot be healthy if it does not specifically address the scope of human need um okay, okay. what do you, what do you mean by by all of that
1: well kind of like those stats we referenced a few moments ago just the overwhelming <laughs> avalanche of, of human need and problems and pain that we have. And when we're honest with ourselves, we will see that everyone has mental and relational health issue, issues at some point at some time. And and so, again, we have to educate, equip, and empower pastors and the church leaders to be able to effectively address not just suicidality, but the roots from which those temptations spring. And when we're honest with ourselves, I think everybody has had at least a fleeting thought of, oh, I'm desperate. I'm despondent. Um, right. Why keep living? You know th- those kind. You know that despair of human life. We need to understand and normalize that that's the case. And so, why does Jesus talk about shining light and speaking truth and spreading salt? Because we live in a darkened, diluted, and decaying world. That's why.
0: Right.
1: So we have to realize that our world is dark. It's diluted and it's decaying.
0: Yeah. That's very true, uh, you, you know. And I, I spoke a message, um, you know, where where Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul speaks about uh, his, his own struggles, and and uh, he says, you know, the things that I wish not to do, I I do those mm-hmm. things. And, you, know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the things that I wish to do, I I, I don't do. And that that message, uh, I mean, when I read that verse, I mean, everyone in the congregation was like yes like they they yeah. and it told me that they, re, they could relate to that and that's Absolutely. that's everywhere we can all relate to those things um and so when we talk about those the 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 basic human needs and 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 the struggles that we deal deal with um it uh i i think there's there's a sense of of feeling relieved because... It's like, okay, it is I, very
1: much that. Yeah, it is right. relief. I, yeah. I call that passage in Romans 7 that you preached on, particularly verse 15, the doo do passage when he says, the good I want to do, I do not do, and the evil yeah. I do not want to do, this I do sure. do. Um, so everybody can relate to the do do that we all... Yeah. Uh, experience. And, and to me, the upshot of that thought, of course, you know, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses just a couple, 300 yeah. years ago that was done, but 8, 1, and 2 is the upshot. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And he writes mm-hmm. that at about 60, 61 years of age, at the peak of his spiritual maturity. And he, what he does is use present tense verbs, all the way through that yeah. passage. Yeah. It's Absolutely. not, I was,
0: and now I'm, you know, right. better, but no, present tense yeah. verbs
1: in his 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is me. We, we always talk about who we were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, all, we always talk about the, the past self, um, but then, you know, we found Christ and and and, right. and obviously we're we're much better today than we were before we found Christ but we're right. still a work right. in progress we're still right. we're still needing to be sanctified and 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 set apart um but we i guess sometimes we we talk about the person now as if we've reached um this level of we we don't we don't have we don't deal with the, the same things that we dealt with before when that's not right. really the case. Yeah, I had a professor in seminary say once, I, I wonder how many
1: people we keep away from the kingdom by the glare of our victory badge.
0: <laughs> wow, that's great. Isn't that's it great? Yeah, that's powerful. That's yeah. Powerful. <clears throat> that's that's tweetable. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. i I'm, <laughs> I'm not on Twitter, but <laughs> uh, okay. All right. The uh the last one here You say, a a church cannot be healthy if it is not equipped to effectively minister to specific human needs.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, the epistles talk about we need to be trained to do the work of ministry. And it's where people are. It's where people live. Scripture has answers, and yet if we're not allowed to ask questions, if we're not allowed to self-disclose... Um, we're in trouble, and sometimes we sort of expect new believers to take um, to get cleaned up before they come and take a bath, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's just it, it's backwards to the gospel. Um, Christians aren't perfect; just forgiven. Says the old bumper sticker, and that is so yeah. wise and so correct. And yet we have to know what we're doing. And so again, that's my passion about getting this resource out into the hands of pastors and church leaders. Uh, worldwide is that the struggle is real, and this is a how-to manual about dealing with mental and relational health issues in the church.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, thank you, thank you for your for your heart, you know, for Christian leaders and everything that you're you're doing and and your calling. Uh, would you would you recommend that a pastor? I, I was having a conversation with someone uh, the other day, just just you know, we were just casually talking over lunch. Um, I wonder if it's if it's recommended, and, and you're probably the perfect person to ask for for pastors or for Christian leaders um, to regularly see, you know, a, a therapist like a, like a Christian, you know, a Christian counselor. Um, would you say that that's would that be healthy for them? Would would you recommend that even if they're not in a state where they're dealing with anything serious that 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 can be uh, sure. detrimental to to their own life, yeah. but kind of before. Yeah, before everything happens.
1: Yeah, I, I have a friend who heads up a ministry to ministers called Pastor Serve. His name is Jimmy Dodd, and he addressed your question very effectively. I'm going to plug his book. It's called Survive or okay. Thrive. He talks about six relationships every pastor needs, and that might be a whole other podcast. But uh, mm-hmm. one of them is, yes, absolutely having um, a, a counseling relationship available to you.
0: Yeah. I I think that would be that would be great and it it kind of also it also um creates a little bit of that that sanctuary that that emotionally safe place yes. um but that's also something that you know to your point we should be uh, instilling in 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 our churches is yes. that emotionally safe place where everyone can absolutely and and be themselves and talk about their issues so that we can be better uh, it, it's it's very hard to it's very hard to progress alone uh very yeah. hard and and I've you know I've I've done it I've done it in the past because of the pressures to to look a certain way uh mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we 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 said it before pastors they you made a great point where pastors people see pastors as this they have to be everything that they that they want them to be so if mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm a member in the congregation and you're my pastor, well, I want you to entertain me <laughs> on Sunday yeah. mornings. Uh, yeah. I want you to know how to lead well. Yeah. I, I want you to know how to counsel well, and and all of these things. And and uh, some of these things, pastors aren't very naturally gifted in. Right. Um, but there's that there's that pressure there to to yep. to perform, and uh, it I think it leads to to burnout. So it this does. is a this is this is a great. Um, this is a great conversation that I, I would, you know, I would encourage everyone to have more of, um, in even casual settings, you know, it doesn't have to be a podcast. Just, just talk about, you know, issues and, 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 uh, be open about the hurt because we all know it's there, you know, it's, it's, it's there. It's just a matter of what it is and, and, and how you're dealing with it. Um, it's, that's, right. that's what I, that's what I think. So, um, well, I mean this was this was very insightful and I know you have you have a, several books um I don't know if you want to plug any particular books uh in, in in relation to the topic of today.
1: Um well just just this one The Struggle Is Real and I have it on my website drpingleton.com. I I have it 10 uh, 10 off the Amazon price because my my, my heart is to get this out. Um, not to derive revenue, but, but to get the ministry out of giving the good news of helping folks deal with the struggle is real. And, and it's, it's, um, it's a compendium of world experts on every topic that we struggle with as, as humans and in church needs. For example, with our topic today on suicide, there's a chapter in the book, How to Develop an Effective Suicide Awareness and Crisis Response Ministry. In your church, every church should have a suicide awareness and crisis response ministry because we don't know yeah. when that next suicide is going to happen. It may be Thursday, right. and we need to mobilize resources in the church. Boom, to sure. be there on Friday with the, the love of Jesus and the the Holy Spirit meeting needs through human people who give an atmosphere of love and acceptance and grace and mercy so that the good news is promoted relationally, not just verbally. So it, right. it is a, a toolbox for ministry resource um, written by 36 world experts uh, that I um, was able to uh, coordinate and and work together. And it, it's there's a long story of the miracle of how this resource came about. We don't have time to get into, but um, yeah, and several other books uh, you'll find on the the website, my, my marriage book is one that I believe is one also that the Lord led me to create. And because again, it's a very practical toolbox for couples. And I think all, all churches need to be about marriage renewal ministry. And, uh, that right. this was written for small groups where couples can do both individual and, uh, group study together. So, um, That would be a great resource. Um, A third one, and I'll stop with this one. We have 170 people a day dying of the opioid crisis, more than suicide. Mm -hmm. It's a much bigger problem, epidemically. And then, you know, recovery issues is is really the key, and we're starting to get some press about this in our country, too. And I co-authored a book with the, the most prominent Christian psychiatrist in history, Dr. Paul Meyer, and then a pastoral uh, recovery expert Phil Dvorak. We, we wrote a 30-day devotional called Be Strong and Surrender, and it's a 30-day guide to recovery. Again, very practical, hands-on, written for small group ministry. And again, <clears throat> on my website, um, those are all less expensive than on Amazon, and I can make volume discounts available if churches want to order large quantities, particularly uh, okay. of those, and uh, be happy to serve.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much. And uh, drpingleton.com, dot com. That's uh, that's your website. That's how people can get a hold of you if they have any yeah. uh, questions or anything. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's that's how I reached out to you. I I did I did uh, have to, I did uh, Facebook stalk you first, <laughs> and then I reached out to you there, and I, I didn't see much activity going on, so I was like, oh, yeah, I hope you respond. Yeah. And then I did find your yeah. website, and you 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 uh, responded pretty quickly. So. Um, thank you for that. Uh, I I do want to ask one final question that I was just kind of reminded of as you were kind of speaking. Um, and then we can kind of end with this, but, um, if someone is maybe in the early stages of, of developing, they're, they're, they're just, they're finding themselves always stressed, always frustrated. They can't seem to find their happiness, their joy. Um, what, what do you think they need to do now? And, and, and perhaps it's very early, so early that they would, they, they would convince themselves that, uh, suicide is never going to be in the cards. It's, I'm never going to deal with that. So I don't need to go and talk about something. This is just the stress of, of everyday life. Um, right. And they're kind of, they're kind of reasoning that way. Um, Is there any advice that you would give to a person like that? Because I'm sure that there's plenty of them.
1: You are absolutely right. There are millions and millions. I would encourage people to reach out and not, again, um, keep silent. That's what's toxic. When we have wounds, we need to cleanse them. And it's like, oh, this is just a cut on the knee. It's no big deal. And it may not be. You know, We have an immune system. But... You know, most moms are pretty mean and they take this horribly painful stuff that makes it sting even worse to clean the dirt because they don't want to go to our funeral. And I think that's yeah, what we need yeah. to understand is, yeah, we need to, we need to clean it out. Our, our instinct is to hide. We've been doing that since Genesis 3, but we need to reach out and expose yeah. our pain so that it can be
0: cleansed. That's great. Um, I'll end with this quote from your article. It says, We must end the silence, expose the secrets, eliminate the shame, and erase the stigma surrounding mental and relational health issues. For too long, many sectors of the church have been in denial about the reality and depth of human problems. But people are hurting, conflicted and oppressed in epidemic numbers and in epic ways. Churches are filled, but not full enough, with real people who have real problems and need real help. Very true and um, I think everyone who's listening to this will be able to relate in some way um, to the conversation. So, Dr. Pingleton, thank you so much for for taking the time today. I know you're a a busy person, uh, but I really appreciate you coming on and having this this conversation.
1: Well, thank you, John, for reaching out, and and yes, I am busy, but, you know, the— um, I, I do take care of my own needs, and i got to practice what I preach sometimes. But one thing the Lord is calling me into is to uh, branch out more, to do more speaking. And so if there are pastors that would love for me to come and share with their congregation, I'd love to do that. One thing that I've found uh, to be a very useful um uh, suggested uh, intervention is to do a Friday night, Saturday marriage retreat, and then Sunday morning mm-hmm. talk about the struggle Israel issues. So that's something awesome. I'm available to do. Again, you can contact me through the website, and uh, be happy and honored to come and help your congregation.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. P- Pingleton. I hope to meet you one day. Uh, you seem like a uh, just a really cool guy, and we were talking a little bit of sports before before yeah. we got got into the conversation uh so yeah, well, thank you for everything that you 're doing thank you for your ministry and uh I hope that God continue to to grow it and 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 bless you and your uh every endeavor so God bless you brother thank you God bless you, John, and your ministry uh-huh. Uh-huh. thank you bye. All right, that was Dr. Jared Pingleton, a psychologist and a Christian counselor. Such incredible um, and very valuable insight that he provided today on how we can deal with um, mental illness in the church and how we approach it and how we can uh, erase that stigma um, that that has existed in the church for so long. Uh, let's let's be open. Let's talk about things. And and um, I, I want to encourage you to uh, share this, you know, uh, podcast this episode with. Uh, your fellow uh, leader um your friends anyone who you think would benefit from this not just because of the specific conversation today but uh share the podcast um as always rate Review if you are enjoying the content that really uh, does a lot for uh, for the podcast and our rankings in iTunes. So uh, we'll be talking uh, to some to some more uh, pastors uh, the rest of this uh, series. We'll be talking a lot about um, what these pastors are doing, how they lead their church, some of the struggles that they face, the challenges, and um, and of course the joys. We want to talk about the good as well. I know today's conversation was a little bit more on the gloomy side, but it's it's one of those conversations that you just have to have. So um, Um, thank you again for tuning in and we will see you next week. God bless you.